0: All right, well, we are in week three of this series called Forever Change, and it is getting a lot of good feedback out there because what we're trying to do is take this this dumpster fire of a year and turn it into an amazingly wonderful thing that's happening in us as we are changed. And this has been a dumpster fire of a year. In fact, you can get that shirt online. I don't know where, but I saw it and I thought, wow, that's, that's about sums it all up. This has been quite a year. It has been a bit of a mess. If you just look at the history of 2020, man, it's just head shaking. You've got this, this coronavirus moving through Asia and then Europe and then the west coast of the United States and it just tore through the country with all kinds of discussion as to whether it's like a bad flu or something much worse. And then came the stay at home order in March and wow, were we shocked by that. I mean, to think that in our lifetimes, the economy would be shut down and we would be ordered to stay at home. I mean, you, it's hard to even get your head around that. Now, when that happened, I was in Denver and got home real quick. And I thought, you know, in my brain at the time, two, three weeks, we ought to be done. I mean, I kind of know enough about how viruses work, you know, maybe that much, uh, that if you stop it in its tracks during the transmission period, you'll get this thing cut way down and then we'll be good to go maybe to to slowly open. We were at home for months. And then when we did open, we might've overdone it and things got crazy again. And so now we're in this weird in-between zone and it's hard to even define where we're at. In the midst of this second surge, you can call it, um, these three videos came out of racial injustice, horrific racial injustice. And that further t- tore this country apart in anger and tensions and debates. And then it's an election year, just a silly, ridiculous election year that is, uh, not that elections are, are silly, but um, that the way we talk to each other because we have disagreements on, on politics is stunningly terrible. And this is 2020. It's a dumpster fire of a year. And so for this series, here's the question. In this dumpster fire of a year, how can we be changed for the better? I mean, we can see every day how people are changed for the worst. They're angry, they're more bitter, they're accusing each other, they're focusing on themselves, they are tearing each other apart. I mean, we can see every day how people are getting worse, but can we turn that around and say, God, we want you to make us better. Make me a better person, make our family better, make our church better, make our community better. I mean, can we really turn this around so that the story that we tell to our kids and our grandkids decades later is 2020 was a mess. It was a dumpster fire, but let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you what God did in my family. Let me tell you what God did in our community. I mean, it could be an incredible story because this is what God wants from us. And I believe this is personal, and I believe it's corporate as well. This is what God wants from us as expressed in 2 Corinthians 3.18. The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This is the cornerstone passage of our series. God wants to make us more and more like himself. Specifically, Romans 8, more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That's the journey that, that, that we are to walk and, and if you just take a glance at what's happened in our country over the last six months or so, you're not seeing a, a forever changing into the likeness of Christ. You are seeing this disintegration into division and anger. And I know that's not everybody. That's the most vocal and public people. So we've got to turn that narrative around and say, God, would you use this dumpster fire of a year to make me more like Jesus? Make me more like Jesus. And, and the way we're made like Jesus is primarily through struggle. We become more like Jesus primarily through struggle. We may not like that truth, but it is the truth. That's why James chapter 1 says, consider it all joy when you encounter struggles of various kinds. Because what's produced in us is, is what makes us like Jesus. And in fact, in 1 in Peter, Peter is very clear that we become more like Jesus when we suffer. Jesus suffered. And when we suffer, it is, it is a, a meshing in with the life and ministry of Jesus. It's not that we go out and seek suffering or just put on a fake smile through suffering. No, suffering hurts, we avoid it, right? Because we're smart. But when it happens, and in life it does happen, what are we gonna do? Let it forever change us into the likeness of Jesus. Now, one of the things that's been most profound, I think, um, about this pandemic season is that we were forced to be at rest. Many of us, not everybody. The healthcare workers, these frontline heroes who are out there and, and really trying to do the best to prevent the spread of disease and, and care for people who were infected, they were probably as busy as ever. But for many of us, there was a stay at home order and so we were working from home. We were maybe a little less hurry. There's not a lot to do when you've gotta be in the confines of your home and just go out for essentials. You're not commuting to work, you're not traveling for work. There's almost no events, all events were shut down. The dozens of kids' activities that keep our kids busy, they're wound down to just this basic, you know, online school situation. And and the calendar wasn't filled with all kinds of things that just kind of pile in, you know, it just piles in. And we're busy, busy, busy. And we're always saying how busy we are, right? We were forced to rest. So how did we handle forced rest? Well, for some people, it was a little bit of a blessing. I put my wife in that category. Kids came home from college, even our newly married daughter and her husband, they moved from their tiny apartment in uh, San Diego to home. We had a little elbow room and we spent three months together, the whole family, and it was great, right? Easier pace, more chill time, kind of a pleasant experience for a lot of people. There was still the nervousness of the pandemic and going out You know, was, was certainly kind of nerve wracking for a lot of folks, but that forced rest was really for some a good thing. They actually sort of enjoyed it. But for others, rest created some anxiety. It definitely created anxiety if you lost your job. Now you're, you're doing nothing. You're forced to do nothing or very little and it's, it's ruining your financial life and in many respects providing for your family and so that creates anxiety. For people who did work at home, I think almost everybody was thinking in the back of their minds, you know, if I'm working from home and they're not seeing me, am I going to be valued? Is my job going to still be here? Am I going to keep my job? And with less busyness, there was anxiety around uh, just what the future is going to hold. When is this thing going to end? And for others, and I put myself in this category as well, that um, my identity, at least historically, has been in the things I produce The busyness in my own life—that's part of my whole dysfunction from my youth, right—is is is really just trying to keep myself busy and produce. And if I'm busy and produce, then people will pat me on the back because I did this well and that well. And the biggest compliment I could ever receive is, "Oh, I don't know how you do so much." I'm like, "Yeah, that's because I'm so productive." That's part of my dysfunction, right? And so for me, periods of rest create anxiety. And so what did I do as soon as this uh, pandemic hit? turned to to my wife and said, hey, we've been planning on remodeling this house a little bit. We had just purchased it, kind of in a downsizing season. We wanted to make it our own. So the day after the stay-at-home order, I said, hey, Jenny, what do you think about remodeling the place? And she said, sure. I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, She might have regretted that because the house during the entire stay-at-home order was a complete disaster and dust everywhere and everybody's piled on the house. So uh, we had an interesting stay-at-home period there. But for me, I have to keep busy. And so forced rest creates some anxiety that I quickly filled, right? So I could do better in this for sure. But many have come to the conclusion during this pandemic that a less busy life is a good thing that needs to result in permanent change. I know that's true of me. I've already been working on this over the course of the last 20 years, 19 years. I've been working on becoming less identified with my you know, production and busyness. So it's been a 19 year journey for me. But for many people, this pandemic has said, all right, I've got to take that next step. I was too busy. I was losing my family a little bit. I've got to reprioritize relationships. And so can we be forever changed by living a life that's more at rest? Because here's the reality. God designed us for rest. God wants us to rest. There's a theology about rest. In fact, God himself is at eternal rest. If you look at this uh, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, it is a metaphor about God's creative work. And and it's put and framed in seven days. There's six days of creation and a seventh day rest. And you may know the story of Genesis 1. It closes out in Genesis 2. It says that the creator of the heavens and earth and everything in them was completed. Creation was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. This is, again, the metaphor of Genesis 1 and 2. The seventh day rest is a rest that continues today. So we know it's not about six literal days of creation. It is a a day of rest, a seventh day rest that continues till this very day and will continue throughout eternity. The seventh day rest is the state that God is in after creation, he created it all, set it in motion, and he rested, he continues to rest now, and he will continue to rest throughout eternity. And what he does with us is he says, listen, earth, you're kind of a mess, you made my creation into a bit of a mess, you need to do better. And part of doing better is living a life of rest. So so God is at rest, but he invites us to live at rest with him now and forever. And so we were designed for a lifestyle of rest. That's why God gave, gives us the great gift of the fourth commandment. This is the big ten commandments, right? The fourth commandment, which is the first, first commandment about how we live our lives, is a commandment to rest. Here's the fourth commandment in Exodus 20. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. Now, in order to rest, you have to work. If there's no work, you don't have to rest. So God really designed us for this wonderful, healthy work-rest rhythm. God designed us for a work-rest rhythm. In fact, God has always designed us for work. If you read through Genesis chapter 2, he put us to work before sin entered the world. So some of us equate, work with being a consequence of sin. No, God says, hey, listen, take care of the garden and fill the whole earth with my glory. So God wanted us out of the garden and filling the earth, um, you know, long before sin entered the world. And so this is, again, the, the heart of God through the metaphor of the garden to say, listen, he put us to work, he created us for work, but he also created us for rest. And when we have this healthy work rest rhythm, we are at our best. And, and all of humanity lives at greater peace if we're at rest. Now, with rest comes all the re's, R-E, re's. With rest comes all the re's. And, and just let me know if, if you want some of these re's. Rejuvenated, revitalized, renewed, revived, restored, replenished, refreshed, reinvigorated, all those re's come out of rest. So if we don't have a, a healthy work rest rhythm, we're not gonna have the re's. Rejuvenation, revitalization, renew, revive, restore, replenish, refresh, reinvigorate. None of that will happen in our lives if we are just busy, 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 busy. And, and we will become more bitter. We will become sharper uh, in terms of snappy and sharp with our words. And, and we just become generally discontent when we're not living at rest. And so all kinds of bad things trickle out of someone's life that's not at rest. I've experienced this in my own life. I've experienced this for others. God designed us to work, even work hard, no problem. But then chill out, rest, relax. So that healthy work-rest rhythm is exactly why God gave us the fourth commandment. He said, listen if you're just kinda killing yourself through work, work, work because you think that's what I want or that's the expectations of society around you, you're not gonna live at your best and I designed you to live at your best, so you need to rest. You need to relax. So God gave us the fourth commandment. Then what did religious people do? Well, religious people do what religious people do and you take a commandment that's meant for our benefit and you turn it into this oppressive religious rule book as though God is up there demanding obedience for his benefit. He's mad at us because we sin against him and he's angry. And so the more we're obedient, the less angry he is, then we please him and then he blesses our life. That's religious, garbage, nonsense, silliness. It's a mess. The reality of God's commandments is that he's perfectly fine. He's God, he's complete, doesn't need us for anything, but he created us to thrive. And when we don't thrive, he gives us commandments to say, this is how you're gonna thrive. How about you not kill each other? How about you don't steal each other's stuff? How about you stick to your own spouse, right? Those kinds of things, just simple stuff. He he gives it to us for our benefit. The fourth commandment, rest, relax, chill out. You need a break. That work, rest, rhythm. But religious people take that and turn it around and come up with all kinds of rules about the Sabbath day rest, what you can and cannot do. And the Jews did this. You look at the Old Testament, there are dozens and dozens of follow-up rules in terms of how to obey the Sabbath. Then what they did is, is through the Mishnah, they've created 39 categories of what work might be, including just volumes of definition of what is tying Can't do that. What is untying? You can't do that. What is tearing? You can't do that. What is smoothing? You can't do that. What is the meaning of work? And all these lists of do's and don'ts, that's what religion does. And then the halacha followed up that with thousands of rules that govern every possible scenario of what could happen on the Sabbath. Walking is one of those. Can you walk on the Sabbath? Well, is it essential, (laughs) right? And if you need to do an essential task during the Sabbath, this is 2,000 years ago. How could you walk from here to there to do that essential thing if, if that's work? If walking is work, you got a problem. So they created all these rules. Well, you can walk a certain number of steps, then you have to sit for a certain number of minutes. Once you've sat for a certain number of minutes, then you can get up, carry your chair, walk a certain number of steps, put down your chair, and then sit again to rest. That's not work. It's insane. They had this big debate about what is wearing and carrying. A big debate about whether a a woman who who had a pin in her hair to hold her hair up, was she wearing that or carrying that? Big debate. Insane. This is what religion does all the time. Uh, We still do it now. Well, What is sin and what isn't sin? I mean, on and on and on it goes. I was a child of 80s youth group. What is sin? What isn't? We'd have all these little debates, Right. So here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. Jesus has to unwind all this. Jesus is about unwinding the oppression of religion all over the place. People are oppressed by religion and so they think they're oppressed almost by God who has all these demands on them. And because God has all these demands on them, they're feeling oppressed by God and oppressed by the religious leaders and never believing they're doing good enough or obeying enough. And so they're under this weight and Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna lift all that weight off of you. I'm gonna show you a gracious heavenly father who gives these commandments for your benefit, right? for your benefit. That's why God gives the commandments. Don't worry about pleasing, appeasing, or or working for God, live at rest. So Jesus sort of breaks the spirit of religion by poking his thumb in the eye of these religious leaders, specifically regarding the Sabbath day of rest. One of the laws about the Sabbath is found in Exodus 34, 21. Very clear, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even plowing, harvesting, you must rest. Really clear, God's word, no harvesting. Here comes Jesus and the disciples. They're walking outside on the Sabbath. They're already on thin ice. Here's the irony, who's walking alongside of them? The Pharisees, the religious leaders who are guarding to make sure nobody is working on the Sabbath. They're walking also. A certain number of steps, and they sit in their chair and a certain number of steps sit in their chair following Jesus and the disciples around making sure they don't break the religious rules. They come across a field. They are hungry. They have every right according to Jewish law and Jewish custom. They can pick from the field edges, because that's kind of a free for travelers. You cool little custom. They pick from that and they eat. Matthew 12:1. At the time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Got you. Jesus, you've got a choice here. Come down hard on your disciples or you yourself will be a lawbreaker. Walking through the field on the Sabbath, picking harvest on the Sabbath. It was scandalous. Breaking the letter of the law, which was very clear you cannot harvest. I guess walking all that time, that's not work because you got your chair, but picking an ear of corn is work because the Bible says so. Jesus and the disciples, lawbreakers, utterly scandalous. The law is about do's and don'ts, and Jesus and the disciples did a don't. Busted. Busted. Then Jesus begins to explain. All this was set up. Jesus knew what he was doing. He picked this fight. And so he explains the heart of the law, not the letter of the law, the heart of the law, about rest. Jesus said this, haven't you read? What David did when he, he and his companions were hungry, this is King David, right? Before he was king, he was being chased. Uh, his life was threatened. He and his companions were hungry. They went into the sacred tabernacle. And what did they do? Entered the house of God and they ate consecrated bread against the law. David, this king-to-be, this anointed minister of God, went into the tabernacle and ate the consecrated bread, broke the law. And God says, that's fine. You were hungry. Hmm. Some of us have a religious mind, and we're thinking, wow, breaking the law, clearly in the Bible, breaking the law. But God says that's fine because you were hungry. Interesting. Jesus goes on and says, Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, and yet they are innocent? So somebody's gotta keep the tabernacle, somebody's gotta keep the temple, somebody's gotta keep the religious kind of machinery going. And these are the priests. And while they're there keeping the religious machinery going, they're working. Not only breaking the law, but desecrating the law. But God says, that's fine. Somebody's gotta do it. Interesting, right? Jesus gives a couple of examples in the Bible where people break the letter of the law in order to, co- to accomplish a higher priority. God's priority is not for us to keep the letter of the law. The law was given for our benefit, our personal benefit, our family benefit, our societal benefit. That's God's heart. He wants us to live well. So he gives us the law to give us, you know, kind of these these rules and guidelines for us to live well. And when we don't live according to those guidelines, we hurt each other, right? And so that's the punishment of breaking the law is we hurt each other. We hurt ourselves, we hurt our families, we hurt, we hurt societally. That's the consequence of breaking the law. Right? God's not furious because we broke a rule of his. I mean, he's not a petulant little child, right? God's just fine. He's hurt in terms of what we do to each other by hurting each other. And he gets angry when we hurt each other like this, and he just wants us to treat each other well, right? So Jesus had to get these these people, especially the religious leaders, over the idea that the priority is obeying the letter of the law. It is not. Jesus had to say, stop peddling your religious nonsense and start caring for people. That's the point of the law, to care for people. And religious peddling and religious rules and nonsense only hurts people. To put it this way, and really land on this, really absorb this. Kindness and compassion is a better guide to godly behavior than rules defined by religious experts. Religious experts, parsing religious laws, it's one of the most incredible wastes of time imaginable. But so many people do this. They're just involved in the peddling of religion. What's right and what's wrong? And and, and how far can you go here? And what is sin and what isn't sin? Just exercising ourselves in terms of obeying the letter of the law, right? I'll give you an extreme example. But it was a real example. And and, and I just give you this extreme example just to illustrate the point, and and you'll get it. Uh, When I was uh, young in my faith, and I would say of the more legalistic side, there's all these debates about, you know, what's right and what's wrong. There's a ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness, don't lie, right? And so let's just imagine um, 1940s occupied European country and there's a family hiding a Jewish family from the Nazis. Nazis knock on your door and they say, are you hiding a Jewish family? What are you going to do? There's the ninth commandment that says, thou shalt not bear false testimony, thou shalt not lie. And I've had this debate and some people have actually said, you know, tell the truth and God will protect you. All right, let me be very clear about this, you lie. You lie and you lie and you lie. You lie until your tongue falls out. You lie, right? Because the heart of the law is protecting people. If you're going to obey the letter of the law by not lying, the Nazis will break down the door. They will take this family, take them off to a concentration camp where they will likely die. They will arrest you and you may likely die because you had to obey the letter of the law. Lie. It's the most godly thing you can do in that moment. Because what does the ninth commandment actually say? The ninth commandment is, is great because it not only talks about the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law and it says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. The law is about protecting people. Don't lie and bear false testimony about your neighbor. So say they did something wrong that they didn't do, right? To protect people. The law is about protecting people so that we would thrive. The the law is not given so this petulant, insecure, angry God can feel better about himself because we obey him. And then we earn enough credits with God for him to bless our lives. I mean, that's got to be torn down and Jesus tore that down. So when it comes to what's right and what's wrong, we've got to look to the heart of God. And the heart of God says, do what is kind and compassionate. That's the law. What did Jesus say? There is one law I give you it's the law of love love, God, love others all the law and command and, and prophets are all wrapped up in love. So when it comes to what's right and what's wrong, go to love what's the most kind and compassionate thing to do? What's the most kind and compassionate way to live What's the most kind and compassionate thing to say? Say that what's the most kind and compassionate way to be a spouse or to be a parent or to be a child? Do that. What's the most kind and compassionate use of money? Do that. What's the most kind and compassionate way to use this God-given gift of sexuality? Do that. What's the most kind and compassionate use of our time? Do that. Forget about the nuances and letter of the law. Look to the heart of God and the heart of God says, what is to the benefit of one another? That is the law you should worry about. Jesus says, all these laws, all these commandments are fulfilled in me. Stick with the law of love. And so the heart of the fourth commandment, the Sabbath, is a heart of rest. So God's heart for us is to benefit from a lifestyle of rest. In a lifestyle of rest, we thrive. In a lifestyle of busyness, we fail. Let me give you a little illustration that you'll kind of understand here. In the world of advertising, um, there's some ways to design terrible ads and some ways to design good ads. So let me show you this billboard, and you tell me if this is a good billboard or not. If you're driving down the road at an even 65 miles an hour, obeying the speed limit for the safety and benefit of others, so we don't need a speed limit if we're really living out the law of love, just a little sidebar. Um, If you drive by that billboard, what are you going to see? Jumbled mess. This is a cluttered billboard, so it's meaningless. A cluttered life can often be meaningless it's so cluttered and so busy that we don't have any time to stop and invest in the things that are truly important. So a cluttered ad is bad, a cluttered life is bad, it's ineffective. And so millions of dollars are spent on Madison Avenue for marketers to come up with this. Wow, super simple. Three words and a doggy, right? And, and it's kinda of, kind of win, winsome, it's like, all right, well there's the Target logo and really simple and, And so I can bring my dog and, you know, it's kind of cute. Sit, stay, shop. That's kind of cute. Going to Target. I have not been paid by Target. It's just a really genius ad, (laughs) right? And so the, the way advertising really should work is keep it simple. Keep it simple. And the way a life really works is if we keep it simple. If we keep it simple. And Jesus kept it simple. We're walking in the harvest. Somebody's hungry. Eat that piece of corn so you're no longer hungry. That's a good thing. Happened to be on the Sabbath, so what? Jesus leaves the field, goes into a synagogue, and here's a man with a shriveled hand in the synagogue. He has, from birth, he has this birth defect. And Jesus in the synagogue is about to do something profound on the Sabbath, the day of rest. He's about to exercise some health care. And the Pharisees follow him right in that synagogue. They know exactly what he's going to do. And they're saying, you better not, Jesus, it is the Sabbath. We just saw you and your guys harvesting. You will not do health care on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. Stretch out his hand. It was completely restored, just as sound as the other. We harvested on the Sabbath, broke the letter of the law, but fulfilled the spirit of the law. We were hungry. We walked into the synagogue. We broke the letter of the law by doing health care on that day. But we obeyed the spirit of the law by being compassionate to another human being. Isn't that a much simpler, much more freeing way of life, right? But Jesus got himself in trouble about the Sabbath day of rest. He says this in another account, Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus said to them, the religious leaders, the Sabbath was made for man. Scandalous. Not man for the Sabbath. Then he doubles down. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus does two things there. He says, listen, All you religious leaders, God doesn't need to be appeased by our obedience to the commands. In fact, God gave the commands for us, for our benefit. Stop your religious nonsense, your religious peddling. Oh, and by the way, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Establishing himself as the very authority of God himself. I can make a good argument that this phrase ended up getting him killed. He so offended the religious leaders that they conspired with the Romans to have him killed. Incredible what Jesus did. He's letting us know that the law is for our benefit. So, not only are we to rest from our work for our boss, we are to rest from working for God. We don't need to obey for God's benefit. God's just fine. Don't worry about Him. God God is about our benefit, He wants us to thrive. And where we are working hard, where we are working for God's approval or working for the approval of others, there's no rest in our soul. And where there is no rest for our soul, we are not at peace. And our life is a mess. It's a busy, cluttered mess. See, the commandments were given for our good, not God. The commandments were given for our good, not God's. So if you think you have to obey in order to get God to bless you, resign. Resign. Stop working for God. Be at peace. He loves us. He cares for us. He's forgiven us of everything we've ever done and ever will done. In God's eyes, we are simply his perfect sons or daughters. That's how he views us. So stop working to earn God's approval. Rest. And then in your lifestyle, let that rest just pour into your life. And in your daily life, live in the rest of God and create margin in your life so that you could be at rest. It really is a beautiful, beautiful life. In fact, when it comes to the day of rest, nobody obeys that commandment anyway, at least that I know of. In fact, I have this discussion quite often with people. You know, Rancho is just unashamed, hyper grace church. Grace is where real transformation happens. And so as a hyper grace church, people come to me all the time, literally sometimes in the, in the streets and have these little debates with me about we have to obey the commandments. The commandments are still for us. And okay, well, give me your thoughts here. We have to obey the commandments. And I, I would say... More kindly than I'm about to say it, I would say, uh, Well, you're not obeying the commandments. You're not obeying the Sabbath. Oh, yes, I am. I go to church on Sunday. Oh, yeah, well, the Sabbath's Saturday, not Sunday. That has nothing to do with Sunday. It's a Saturday. Well, yeah, but it's changed, third century. Okay, all right. Well, you're just not obeying the Sabbath law. I'm just telling you. And by the way, do you ever cook on a Saturday? Well, yeah, I cook. I got to eat. Oh, you just broke the law. You're not supposed to cook. And by the way, the Sabbath is from Sundown Friday to dinner on Saturday. And you don't, nobody does. Maybe some, some very orthodox Jews do, but nobody I know obeys the fourth commandment. So let's get over this idea that we are serious about the letter of the law and serious about the commandments. Nobody really is. We just kind of pretend we are. The spirit of the law, the spirit of the fourth commandment is to live a life of rest. Rest with God, rest in our rhythms of life, rest in our family, to focus on the most important things. And Jesus himself told us what the most important things are. Here's Matthew 23, 23. And this is my paraphrase, so take it or leave it. I encourage you to take it. I think it's pretty good. (laughs) Jesus comes across the religious leaders tithing their spices and says, hey, good job donating 10% of your dill spice to the temple. But you might actually want to think about being merciful to people, ensuring justice for everyone, and being faithful to the law of love. That's what's most important, Jesus says. See, Jesus came to relieve us of the silliness and get us back to the beautiful heart of God. And what's the heart of God? The heart of God is he wants us to thrive in his love for us and thrive in our love for one another. And that happens when we're at rest. That happens when we're at peace. So I wanna encourage you, simplify your life. Here's some quick bullet points. Simplify your life. Downsize the busyness of your life. Learn to say no. Try it. No. Learn to say no. Learn to set boundaries, right? to say, hey, this is where I'm working and this is where I'm resting. Set sacred family time, just kind of untouchable times for your family. Set sacred rest time so you have time to just chill out, maybe with buddies. Uh, Investigate productivity skills. I'm convinced that people waste half of their working life because they're not efficient. Look at productivity skills to help out so that we can be at rest in our lifestyle, a restful home, have a restful soul, and a restful relationship with God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the gift of your commandments, not for us to obey to please you, but you gave them to us so that we would live a more pleasing life. And that fourth commandment to rest is something we embrace, not to obey the letter of that law, but to understand that in you there is rest. We don't have to work for your approval. You approve us in Christ, you've forgiven us in Christ by his life, death and resurrection, so help us to live at rest with you. And then to live at rest in our own soul, at rest in our personal rhythms, at rest in our family life, that we might enjoy the peace that you give us through Christ and be a peacemaker to the world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Look forward to seeing you next week.